Welcome to the Dover Lodge Podcast, a podcast presented by the officers of Dover Masonic Lodge in Westlake, Ohio. This is the first in a series of podcasts intended for the education, instruction, and edification of the friends and brothers of Dover Masonic Lodge. What follows is a reading of the essay, Have We Any Need for God?, written by Brother Lewis Cameron King. This world is filled with a myriad of preachers. Preachers of all sorts and descriptions, ranging from the unkempt, wild-eyed ones who walk city streets, bearing placards exhorting us to repent, the end is near, to the Billy Grahams and the Oral Roberts types, flamboyant pulpit pounders and tent shows and tabernacles, and in between the ministers and priests who, Sunday after Sunday, Talk about God, the Almighty One, the Creator of all things in the heavens and in the earth. But what do we know about this God they talk so much about? Our world is filled with miracles, all man-made. I sit here writing with a ballpoint pen, one of the literally billions made, used, and destroyed by men. No longer do we need the stylus or the quill. I sit here now copying that writing on a machine driven by an electric motor. I look out the window at the darkness, but my room is flooded with light produced by what a farmer years ago described as a red-hot hairpin in a bottle. Everywhere I look, I see the houses, the streets, lighted by these man-made things. Automobiles pass by, an airliner, roars past, far overhead, driven by internal combustion engines, man-made things. I turn a knob on a box, and the glass front lights up, and I see a man. He moves his lips. I hear him speaking. He says that he is reporting from Saigon, halfway round the world. The pictures change to show the ruins of what was once a city. Here I sit comfortably watching the destruction of other men's homes, even while the events are taking place. Did God make these miracles? Or was it man? We pray to God for an end to this destruction. The victims of our bombs also pray to this same God, although they may do it in a different way and another tongue. They have another name for him, but he is the same God. And the war goes on. People die. Houses burn. The land is torn asunder. And men wonder, is there really a God who loves us? Why doesn't he do something? Two hours from now, I shall leave here to meet with some friends who are waiting to have me tell them some more about this fraternity they have so recently entered. I shall undoubtedly remind them that we would not have been here meeting had not each publicly expressed their trust in this same God. How can I, in all conscience, tell these men how essential a belief in God is to them when all, every single thing around us was made by men? Fortunately for me, my life's work was not as a writer. 
I was a man who worked with his hands. I was, basically, an electrician, but I worked on other mechanical contrivances as well. I had to study in order to understand how electricity was generated, how the engines that turned the generators operated, why boiling water turned to steam, and how the steam made the engines turn. I learned that there were laws governing these various functions. I learned those laws and recognized them by the names associated with them, the names of the men who first stated them in formal terms. Ohm's Law, Lenz's Law, Kirchhoff's, Henry's, Boyle's, Gala Sachs, Newton's, the list seemed endless. And for a long time, I kept them neatly compartmented in my brain. I began to call them natural laws, but I kept them all separated from one another. Chemistry was chemistry, and electricity was electricity, and never the twain shall meet. One day it dawned on me that keeping all those laws in their separate little pigeonholes was impossible. Try as I might, I couldn't keep them apart. And more important to me, I saw how utterly compatible they all were, never contradicting one another, and every one absolutely infallible. If something I built didn't work as I expected, I soon found that I was the fallible one, the weak link in the chain. sped by, I found myself becoming a teacher. Not in the classroom sense, but more as an on-the-job instructor. It was my delight, whenever I had a young helper eager to learn, to set apart a few minutes of each day to explain the functions of the various devices we worked on, to show why they did what they did. Always, I urged them to get textbooks to study. One day, one of my helpers asked me why I always referred to the laws as natural laws. I don't think I had ever given the term much thought, except that it was a convenient catch-all sort of name, until I began to attempt an explanation. I told him that natural laws were perfect, and they must be obeyed if a successful result were to be obtained. As I went on with my attempt at explaining natural laws, it occurred to me to ask him if he could be an atheist and work with these laws. He thought about that for a moment, and then asked, Could you? I said, No, I could not, and that called for my reasons. As I now recall the conversation, I must have sounded more like a preacher than an electrician. I told him that every man who proclaimed that he had discovered a law had to prove that there was no guesswork, no suppositions in what he stated. That under any and all conditions, just so long as each requirement of that law was met, the law would work. Perfect obedience was essential. Then I told him why I could never be an atheist and an electrician. This is a job that calls for absolute faith, I told him. That natural laws work because they were laid down by a perfect intelligence, empowered by an absolutely perfect being endowed with the authority to make them work. Now, I said, if these laws were imperfect in the slightest degree, how could I ever have the assurance that the next moment need not be my last? Anything might go wrong 
and I could be blasted into eternity. From the earliest records of man's history, it may be demonstrated that he has always been aware that such a being does exist, and that that being maintains perfect control over every created thing in the universe, and that each one of them, from the most minute particle to the universe itself, moves and acts in accordance with those laws. Mankind has known that power by many names. I call it God. You may have another name. It doesn't matter who knows the real name. It is the belief that counts. Men's brains, marvelous as they are, are incapable of imagining this power except in some form they can visualize, such as their own. In whatever form he may be imagined, he is, to the devout believer, the sum and substance of all his desires. What he is to me may be nothing like what he is to you, but one thing is certain. All his laws are perfect. All, everything, must obey whatever laws are pertinent. Whenever the question of whether we have any need of God arises, I found myself unable to imagine what sort of mess we would be in if he were to suspend, even if for a few hours, all the laws he instituted for the operation of the universe. What if water refused to flow? Or the sun to warm us? Or for gravity to hold us down to the surface of the earth? Or, or a million other what-ifs would pop up? get away from such stupendous things and just think of our own personal relationship with him, would we be any worse if he turned away from us? Or any better? We as Masons take pride in calling ourselves God-fearing men. Where now could we turn? In whom could we put our trust? Without his guidance, what could we do? Where could we turn for help? How would it be if all restraints were removed from all men everywhere? I will not attempt to visualize the utter chaos into which we would be thrust. Thankfully, we're not in danger of such a catastrophe. I will simply state, here and now, that all my hope, my faith, my trust is in God. And why should it not be? When I look back over three quarters of a century of life and see how divine providence has taken care of me and how shamefully I have often abused my Creator's trust in me, I am amazed in the wonderful, steadfast love which is still manifest in my life. My trust, my faith, my hope is in the One who made all the wonders of the universe, who made man and gave him the intelligence to ferret out the laws by which he has been enabled to make all the marvels we so unthinkingly take for granted today. Are all these inventions made possible by man's unassisted intelligence alone? 
Has not man, in all his stages of development down the corridors of time, always been aware that somewhere beyond the limits of his vision has existed a power to whom he must turn for help in times of trouble, to, to give thanks, to praise and glorify in times of peace and plenty? Why should mankind, from the most primitive to his highest state of civilization, have always held to this instinctive belief, if it were not implanted there by the power who created him? Has man grown so great and powerful that he can now turn to his creator and tell him that he is no longer needed? If I must now become a preacher, it is to answer... Never. We need God today as much as man has ever needed him. In the entire history of the human race, we have needed him, and in him alone we put our trust. Thank you for listening to the Dover Masonic Lodge podcast. If you'd like more information concerning Dover Masonic Lodge, or are interested in leaving a comment concerning the content that you've heard, please visit our website at www.dover489.org.